One likes film, the other TV. Together, they chronicle life in the peak entertainment era. It's a streamable life. Okay, so uh, we're going to skip over the question this week, but on this day in history, we had a lot of stuff and kind of jumped around. Um, in 1936, uh, the Olympic runner Jesse Owens won his second gold medal at the Berlin Olympics in front of Hitler. Um, Prince's Purple Rain album went number one and stayed there for 24 weeks, which is kind of incredible. Um, in 2007, Barry Bonds tied Hank Aaron's 33-year-old home run record of 755, which that's that's incredible. That's so many home runs. Like uh, that's, that's a ridiculous number. And then in 2015, Miss um, <laughs> Piggy and Kermit set the internet ablaze as they announced the end of their relationship. All right, that is quite a bit of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you think about it, though, Miss Piggy and Kermit's relationship is very toxic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's probably she's, best best that he he breaks right. off. Absolutely. All right. Welcome to another episode of It's a Streamable Life, chronicling life in a peak entertainment era. And we'll get into our headlines. Um, well, the first headline will sort of be like a question. How much are you willing to pay for a movie rental to stream? I don't know, because I always see like uh, Comcast and theirs are, theirs are incredible amounts, but I would say maybe the probably, the price you'd pay for a ticket at the theater, so like $10 or something, probably at the most. All right, well, uh, Disney just announced that they will be premiering uh, the live-action Mulan on Disney Plus and in theater September 24th. So you can watch on Disney Plus for a nice $30. Oh, no. Exactly. Especially when, when you're, you've either already paid or are still paying for the yeah. service. That's crazy. Yeah, so... Um, no, there's that earlier today. That's that seems just a little steep to me because I know what was that Trolls World Tour or whatever that might have been what twenty dollars. Yeah, I think so. And then that's incredibly steep. Yeah, it's very steep. But I was t- talking with a friend who lives in L.A. and she said that sounds about right with snacks. It's thirty dollars to see a movie in Los Angeles. Absolutely not. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, you go to the movie theaters and you have, like, a good time here, at least. You're paying maybe $15 or so, um, which is still, whatever, it's kind of still a good amount of money. Mm-hmm. But to pay $30, and then what if you don't like the movie? Like <laughs> Exactly. It's not like they're going to give you half back or something. Yeah. Nah, and I guess not. you could just end it, but like your money's already gone. It's not like you can get a refund. I'd be interested at the once it comes out to see how many people streamed it. Exactly, because that's a lot of money. Yeah, it's too much. A lot of money. Um, and then elsewhere in headlines, this recurring—well, not recurring—this evolving drama with. Ellen and I guess accusations of a toxic environment on her show. Have you been yeah. following this? Yeah, I've been seeing it quite a bit. 
it, it started off slow, just kind of, you know, first of all, it started off with Ellen just being, you know, she's not the person that she appears to be. And then, yeah, more stuff came up. Yeah, it's it's very strange. Like, like in the beginning, it was just sort of like this myth on Twitter and yeah, little tweets here and there. But then slowly it's picked up speed. More people have come out. And I guess today there was a flood of folks detailing yeah. mistreatment and and whatnot. Um, even her former uh, DJ posted that he stood by uh, the people, her accusers, basically. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I don't... If she steps away from the show and they just end it all together, I'm not even sure what... Um, what NBC would do for that time slot. Yeah, and we've seen them, well, well I've seen people say, you know, the show's not going anywhere, she's not gonna go anywhere. Yeah. Um, but then I've seen rumors that James Corbin might replace her or something of that nature. And then in addition to that, I guess there was a producer on the show that's gotten a lot of the brunt of the accusations. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. His, his last name is like Galvin or something or Gavin. Yeah, and I think he's been relieved of his duties, possibly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, between that and the issues at NBC Universal with another producer, um, the the things are are finally, I guess, coming out. Um, we don't realize how vast this mistreatment is especially in the industry you right. know given the the stakes and the price of which this art costs everything certain behavior was just you know saw passed on as um that's just who they are that's what it takes to right, right. to make it so it's crazy and in addition i read a story in a, the hollywood reporter about brian singer and how sort of early on in the X-Men filming days, people thought how they possibly created the monster he is accused of being. They, they've still not really like canceled him. I know. Um, as of last, I knew he was supposed to direct the Red Sonja film, but he was pulled off of that. And he, he had directed Bohemian Rhapsody, which won a Golden Globe, so. Yeah. Um, but they said he was, the accusation started early, as early as the first X-Men films of sexual assault and just inappropriate behavior. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So we'll have to see what happens and sort of this, this reckoning just continues. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot going on. Hell yeah. All right, I think that's it for headlines. We'll get into our not segment here where we have chapter seven of uh, Perry Mason and the uh, series finale of the docuseries, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Uh, Perry Mason, what were your thoughts on this episode? Uh, this was an episode that, you know, had I not watched it in the middle of the night, I would have started clapping afterwards because stuff finally came together there were a lot of like oh like like thank you jesus i really wanted to know what happened but then there were a lot of like like 
yo, oh my goodness type moments as well. But um, overall, no, I thought it was it was great. I and because we learned so much, I I, I would personally say that it was the best episode yet. So yeah, I would agree. Um, so many final threads were were tied together. We've gotten a potential motive and cause behind this crime. Um, everything's fitting into place, and most importantly, we're seeing the creation of the the team that Perry Mason eventually right. has. Um, Indela, uh, and Officer, um, what's his first name? Shoot. Are you talking about Drake? Yeah, I forget his first name already. Yeah. And Officer Drake, um, uh, potentially replacing Keats because, you know, one mistake and right. kind of ruined the relationship. But, um, and then the other lawyer, too, the one that um, kind of coached him into getting his license or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting how the, all that's coming together. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think. I think the big moments for me were definitely the opening scene and the final scene. We both get them with Alice yeah. and her mother, and they delve back into their history and just how dysfunctional that relationship is and why Alice maybe suffers the way she does in turn. Right, yeah. That was uh, great. I think for me, the big scene was when. Um, they kind of went to what I think it oh who is it? I think it's the the coroner the coroner friend when he puts it together that the baby died from a heroin overdose. Yes, yes, yeah. They find out and, that yeah. Right. Cause it, then once that happened I was like like that I get I guess that wasn't what I was expecting. I think I don't think I was expecting it to be an accident. Right. I was like I was expecting them to have done it like that's what they went in to do but yeah that was that was nuts yes yeah so essentially because Baggerly had ceased payments for the church they yeah. they concocted to kidnap his son in a way to get ransom for the amount they were in debt right. but it went horribly wrong and they right. had to concoct some way to blame it on someone else yeah the I thought the scenes at the, um, uh, what you call it, not whorehouse, but essentially that's what it was. Yeah, like the brothel. The brothel and with the corner were exceptionally good because that yeah. that was out of left field. I wasn't expecting expecting that at all. And I think it's the most violent episode we've seen when they killed the uh, the other guy. What's his name? Seidel. Yes. Yeah. As as soon as he was like reassuring him, I knew it was yeah, it was over. It was over because Enos wasn't going to take that chance because everything is falling apart. Like, so what's interesting though is next week. I feel like, I mean, we got all the answers right now. It has to just be them in the courtroom next week, right? Which is sort of like the the heart of Perry Mason, the right, yeah. cross-examination, the legal part, which would be very interesting. Yeah, I like this episode a lot. Yeah, and I'm guessing yeah. since Perry's about to lose his home, he'll move in with Della. Is that 
yeah, I don't know how that's going to work, but I imagine it'd be something like that. Yeah. Yeah, he was sort of down, down at his last last nerve, and this this ending was sort of like a definitely a win for him. Yeah. Morally and just overall, so. Yeah, and the whole baby uh... at the end. <laughs> yes. What? Yeah. So obviously that's not Charlie Dotson, but now it's like whose baby did she just take? Like right, and and like where did it come from? These folks are are just out here with a random child, and then because right. I don't think she planned that herself. There's no way. No, I definitely think it was her mother. Oh, that's why they took that left. Yeah, because, yeah, she says, yeah, go right or go left or whatever. So I think her mother had that planned out from the jump. So where is the body, though? Do you think she's involved in that, too? Maybe she is, but, yeah, I have no clue where it is. Maybe maybe she knew about the scheme, being a part of the church, and just sort of... Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, she wanted her cut or something like that. I guess we'll figure out. But my thing is that I hope we get all the ends tied up on Sister Alice because when she's out there hearing voices, I I wonder if they're alluding to like she has some sort of mental health problem. Mm-hmm. And not that she was genuinely hearing, you know, God's yeah. voice. I'm thinking she she may be, well, I can't diagnose her, but some disorder, because we saw in the right. beginning how she was just sort of in the field, like in her own world, so maybe she's on the spectrum of some sort. Right. And her mother has used that. Right. Exploited her for basically her advantage, so. Yeah, and yeah, maybe those voices are a result of the abuse. I don't know, I guess we'll, hopefully we learn. More. Yeah, yeah. All right. It was an excellent episode. Excellent episode. And now we have the final episode of I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I believe it was entitled Walking to the Light. Yeah. Yes. So basically this episode um explained the <clears throat> excuse me. The police work it was done in finding Joseph D'Angelo, um, his apparent arrest. Um, how it was announced across the news, how survivors reacted, how family members of D'Angelo reacted, and basically um, what it was like for this chapter to finally be closed for so many people yeah. um, that were affected by his terror. Um, the I think the conversation with the ex-fiance, who apparently was not the full root, but part of his psychosis right, right. Um, was just horrifying. She, I don't, it, it, I don't know how she survived that. Like, it was just. Yeah, he was nuts, man. Yeah, terribly. And I, I would, I don't, don't know what her father would have said for him to leave like that, especially when, you know, he had the gun. Right, yeah, he must have been hardcore. He must have said some real shit to him. Yeah, but um, not only that, but we also saw how saw how, how uh, 
toxic his childhood was and basically where probably the issues stemmed from. Yeah. No, he, uh, you know, he definitely had a, a bad childhood not to excuse what right. he did, but it definitely explains some of, you know, of who he, who he was. Right. Right. Um, Stanley was sort of like a military family. They moved around a lot. Um, even, uh, in other countries and just, uh, his nephew, I believe it was telling these things that his mother had kept until her, her deathbed basically about their childhood and the abuse, um, and how Joe took it the worst from their father and basically how that, that trauma, even the, the photos of him as a child and then to like, I guess, high school, you could see, yeah, you could he just see the pain in his eyes. Right, yeah, you could tell that he wasn't really there. Yeah, um, so he fast forward to, from that, um, and his early, I guess, braces, braces with, I don't know what you would call it, not really risk taking, but just sort of like dangerous. Yeah, type of actions or whatever. He was just kind of careless, kind of right, extremely careless. Um, and then he becomes a police officer. Yeah, which shouldn't surprise anybody, but right. Um, and I think one of the most terrifying things for me was when his nephew was speaking on how one time he heard a voice tell him not to turn around. Yeah, when he's in bed. Yeah, and it was basically his uncle, and he he basically hypothesized that he used his house as like a safeguard when he would be right. out terrorizing because there were so many victims in that neighborhood. Yeah. yeah that, no, that was a weird... When they kept showing the maps, when they talked to the, the survivors and they're talking about, you know, he came and ruined my suburban life but then he ended up living just like a quiet suburban life with you know a you know three-car garage nice little house and everything it's just like what like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah the woman who was like his adoptive daughter she she just yeah. couldn't believe that's who that was um and the year she lived with him he didn't attack anyone there was no yeah no disturbances, no crimes or anything. And the moment she married and left, it was like, yeah, snap back. So that it's, you, you always hear that there's, there's a psychology to it and there, there really is, you know, it works not like clockwork. It's different for everyone, but it's eerie how well it works, how common yeah the things are um anything else stand out to you in this episode um just one thing i i think was interesting and i think we've always known this but um (laughs) we just have a term for it now this this was uh and this was a clear case of a like a like an incel type of situation yes i think I, i wrote that down somewhere oh but yeah, that's kind of what came to my mind. And I, I just say, now we have the the term for that type of behavior. But, um, and then another thing, 
uh, just you know as a whole of this whole docu series and this may sound weird but i couldn't I, I was thinking to myself would this docu series have the same type of effect if michelle mcnamara was still alive you know what i mean right I, it, it sounds bad I, but i feel like her being dead added a different element to it because because we'll never get her final thoughts on this we'll never know what she does next after this case is solved this was such a big part of her life mm -hmm. and i think that that question that will be there forever kind of adds to this series which yeah it still sounds horrible to me but you know yeah but it definitely adds a layer to the allure of of the story right. um, to be told definitely um yeah, it was, I think it was an excellent docu-series and it, I think it really spoke to the larger, um, larger true crime sort of right. ways. People pass it on as a, off as a fad and whatnot and may look at these people differently, especially the large women population who it draws, but right. sadly these women are the victims. They're the ones. Right most likely persecuted they're the ones most likely discarded when these incidents happen and it, it speaks to a larger sort of cultural problem of the way way we treat women um yeah just just in general especially with the the um the focus on how he not only hurt them but sexually assaulted them and and right. just violated them no, it was definitely good. I think, you know, the Emmys come around next year. It should definitely be nominated for some things. Oh, yes. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. Definitely hope so. All right. So I, we have, what, two more episodes of Perry? No, I think next week's the last one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So next week will be the last one of that, and then we'll probably be open to some, some other subjects to discuss. Oh, um, yeah, I think... That show on Showtime starts. We hunt together starts this coming Sunday. So yes, that's on the ninth. I knew I was forgetting something. Yeah, that's on the ninth, and then immediately following on the sixteenth is Lovecraft Country, right? Which yep. we definitely be talking about. Yeah. So yeah. All right, we'll get into our next two segments here. Uh, binge me, please, where we discuss things we're binging here and there, between and over everything. Um, for me, last week, I binged uh, the Netflix anime series Transformers War for Cybertron. Okay. It's supposed to be a, a trilogy. So the first part was called Siege. And it was six episodes. Basically, it's like a precursor story to the Transformers lore. So okay. they start on Cybertron where um, basically a war has erupted between races of robots, Autobots and, De and Decepticons. Yeah. Um, where um, Megatron wants to rule with the Iron Fist and Optimus Prime is sort of like the freedom fighter here trying to avoid this sort of regime rising. Yeah. So it was pretty good. Um, I've never seen Transformers sort of depicted this way it was definitely more, excuse me, definitely a more humanizing um, 
storytelling, I guess, because it, it felt very real. Hmm. Especially when you when you mention races of robots, like you don't think of robots having a race or right. or ethnicity or anything like that. And folks were dying left and right. Like it's not like they just got hit up and like they were murdering these people, these robots. So it, it was really good, and um, hoping the next two seasons aren't too far away. So, well, I have to, I have to give that a thought. Check that out. Um, anything you binged? Um, no, not really. Uh, I was trying to think of anything, but no, I've television-wise, no, I've uh, pretty much stayed away from that. <laughs> All right, we'll get into no concessions thing. Um, I have one trailer I watched today, uh, yeah. not too long ago, I think earlier this week, it had the first look photos for Netflix's Ratchet yeah. series starring Sarah Paulson and executive produced by Ryan Murphy. And this is basically a prequel series to the nurse Ratchet character from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the 1975 yeah. film. So the trailer dropped today, and it looks very Ryan Murphy-ish. Yeah. Um, it has, Murphy sort of loves that sort of like old Hollywood period yeah. type um, aesthetic. So this definitely has it. It looks like it's set in the 50s or early 60s um, in the psychiatric hospital, and Paulson's playing the nurse Ratchet who has a sort of affliction for uh, extensive treatment when it comes to mental disorders. So it, it looks it looks very uh, American Horror Story ish. Yeah. No, this was yeah. It's you could have said um, absolutely nothing about it being by Ryan Murphy, and first look at it, you would have known. So. Yeah. But yeah. Have you seen One Flies Over the Cuckoo Nest? I have not. Okay. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it's going to be <laughs> it should be interesting because in the in the movie and in the novel that the movie's based off of, she's like one of the main characters cuz she yeah, she's she's evil. So um I'm really interested in how they'll do I mean it's Netflix, they can show whatever, but right. It should it should be interesting to have it solely focus on her because um, she is she's a huge part of that movie. So. And the the cast is pretty stellar too. You've got yeah. um, Judy Davis, Sharon Stone, um, uh, Cynthia Nixon, a few Ryan Murphy regulars like Finn. Uh, what's his name? Yeah. Whitrock. Whitrock, yeah. Yeah. Uh, John John Brions that was in uh, the Apocalypse American Horror Story. So, yeah. yeah, the cast is pretty stacked. No, it should definitely be. I'm going to watch it. I think it interests me more than Hollywood, so I'm going to check it out. Yeah, Hollywood was good, but it, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's see. I watched. I did watch a couple movies, but the one I'll talk about is Jojo Rabbit. And uh, I'm oh god, I, I always mess up his name. I, 
Oh, uh, Taiki Rakiti. Yes, yes. Something along those lines. Um, it, it was pretty good. I think when I first saw the trailer, I was like, this is maybe not the right time to have movies featuring a comical Hitler. You know, it just didn't seem like something that should happen. But as you watch the movie, um, and it's a coming of age tale, this young boy is growing up in Germany with his mother and, you know, he's, he's obsessed with Hitler. And so the Hitler that he sees is, um, is this fun loving guy. They, they talk to each other. He's, he's a figment of his imagination, but they talk to each other, they hang out. And as the film goes on and the young boy strays further away from the Nazi ideology, the Hitler in his head becomes more angry. Like, you know, you need to do this. You need to do this. Like the way, and then as the war changes and, you know, the allied powers start winning, the the Hitler becomes yeah more angry and aggressive. And it, it's really good. It's, it's a lot deeper and a lot more like uh, serious than you would imagine. It's funny. There's a lot of funny parts and it's definitely, um, you know, that kind of coming of age tell type of movie. But there are some parts in there like, oh, oh, hold on a second. Like, uh, you know, the, the, I think the part that stuck out, whatever, I'll spoil it. But um, uh, Scarlett Johansson plays his mother, and she's kind of a liberal person in the sense that she's going around, you know, you know, Germany should be open, Germany should be free. She's hiding a young Jewish girl in her house who's a big part of the story as well. And something kicks off in the city, and the little boy goes out and Scarlett Johansson is hanging from a gallows. She's they killed her because she's oh, wow. a trigger. Yeah, and you're not really expecting it. It's like, oh Jesus, and you can only recognize her by her shoes. And it's like, oh my God, wow. But yeah, no, it, it was good. It was definitely a good movie. So okay, yeah. I might have to check it out. All right, that concludes <laughs> our no concession segment. <clears throat> Excuse me. We'll now get into our feature presentation, which is our. Uh, final chapter in our Hannibal Season 1 recap, our second stream around here where we have episodes 10 through 13. All right, so where we left off, um, we found out that Abigail was a part of her father's uh, killing murders. Yeah. And uh, we see that Will is gradually unraveling um, mentally. So episode 10 is Buffet Freud, a.k.a. Cold Buffet. Yeah. Uh, Will questions his sanity when he gets inside the mind of a killer who believes that she herself is already dead. Yeah. Um, this may be one of the scariest episodes. <laughs> yeah. I, while I was watching this, I remember the first time I saw it, I I didn't think the girl existed until she was under his bed. I was like, she's not really there. Like, something's up. Right, because this whole opening feels like something from a horror movie. Like, right, yeah. the woman in her house, she thinks she hears something. Right. Like snow coming from the roof. She goes to clean it, and then someone grabs her <laughs> Yeah, from under the bed and just yanks her out. I was like, how strong is she? 
Right. It was very exorcist conjuring type yeah. things going on. But um um but yeah, we find out that there is a woman who has a a mental disorder that makes her think that she's not alive. Right. And we hear from her mother that it started when she was a teenager, um, off to college, and she had to drop out because it was just so it was no they couldn't find anything wrong with her, couldn't find a solution. Right. And she started harming herself and she just left. Um like peeling her skin and things of that nature. And I guess um, it turns out the person, woman she killed was a high school friend, correct? Yeah, it was like her best friend or something, yeah. Yeah, which was kind of weird. Um, this is where um, we get the clock exercise, finally. I think I might have brought it up a little earlier before, but... Yeah, I think you um, did. Yeah, uh, Hannibal asks Will to draw a clock, sort of to center him when he's feeling out of sorts. And um, his clock is not aligned, even though no, he knows no, no. it is. It's definitely skewed, and Hannibal keeps this under wraps, basically. <clears throat> so he recommends they go see a neurologist, his neurologist, I have how convenient. Right. Um, and basically they confirm that he has, I'm going to mess up the name, basically an inflamed. Yeah. Encephalitis. Yeah. Encephalitis an inflamed, um, brain load, basically that's causing the memory loss, the time lapses, uh, hallucinations, things of that nature. Yeah. And Hannibal basically tells him they didn't find anything. You have to get a second opinion. It's not neurological it must be psychological and what surprised me is he basically confides that with this doctor too yeah and the idea of a physician's just like well let's just see what happens it's a little (laughs) like okay yeah a little wild um and i think the medicine he gives them doesn't stop the symptoms it's just increases them yeah it makes them worse yeah because well it's the next episode and we're going to talk about it but that's when he he really starts to trip out he gets like a fever and everything so yeah he really starts to show symptoms but Hannibal sort of stands by um and does nothing yeah so anything else in this episode Um, um Not really. It, it was, I'd say one we, one reason I also didn't believe the chick was real is when he pulled off her skin. I was like, wait a second, man. Yeah. Like, this shit just came off like chicken skin. I was like, wait, what is happening? Yeah, because right. the, the woman eventually comes to his house and sort of... Right. In her state. Right. Um, and where does he end up? That's where where he ends up finding her and sort of coaxes her out from under the bed, correct? Yeah, he. I think one of his dogs realizes that she's under there and wakes up and barks or something. And so that's when he knows that she took the bait and, yeah, ends up in his house. Mm-hmm. So, and what was her name? She had like an old person's name. It was Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, that he sort of gets her help, um, and uh, I'm trying to think what happens next. They try to get her help, and I think doesn't. What do I have here? Oh, I think that's it. Yeah, then you kind of because um, I think the next episode. So we'll just segue into episode eleven is when um, we learn about her in the dude's office and she saw Hannibal's face but wasn't able to make it out right right yeah. because near the end of this episode Hannibal kills the neurologist right yeah and what we find out is like he meant to frame Will yeah the murder try to push him mentally ill and whatnot and Georgia sort of upends that theory for him but doesn't really because she can't see his face. That's part of her disorder. Right. Um, so Will, it looks like the prime suspect in the neurologist's murder. Yeah. Yes. So episode 11 was is roti. Um, I think, is that pasta? Yeah, I think it's a type of pasta. Yeah. So this is an episode sort of ups to ante. Having escaped custody, Dr. Abel Gideon seeks revenge on his former therapist as Will battles his own escalating mental crisis. So we return to um, Dr. Gideon, who escapes the um, custody of the asylum, violently murders um, the people transferring him, correct? Yeah, he like kills the, yeah, he beats them down in that, uh, that van. Yeah. And um, he kind of takes a hostage. Yeah. And Freddie Lowndes. She came back. Yes, she came back. Um, he basically uses her sort of as bait yeah. um, to draw out his other victims, per se, and to prove that he, he basically proving that he was being manipulated. So yeah. um, he's coming for all his therapists in order. Next on his list, it was Dr. Uh, Chifton, Frederick. Yeah. And that's who he has with Freddie. He's basically, what would you call it? Dissecting him alive? Yeah, he's kept him just barely alive. Yeah, and he's just, I'm not sure what organ he pulled out first. I think those were like part of his intestines and then yeah. a spleen or something. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the line I really liked was when he asked, how do you keep your whites so clean? Yeah. Because <laughs> that when you you knew he was about to, about to snap um and then on the other side you have will who is um falling apart yeah um he says i just feel like somebody else i feel crazy i fear not knowing who i am i have to say he was doing some great acting here yeah for real um so they're on the race to find freddie lounge and discover that he's targeting therapist so they know that Alana is next. Yeah. And um oh Hannibal to push the envelope here. He always has a plan. Yeah, always has a plan. He leaves the gun and keys out in the room yeah. on purpose for Will to get 
so he can go and save Alon. But he was hoping that maybe he'd kill Gideon or kill somebody and just sort of... Well, he wanted him to kill Gideon because Gideon is the copycat and he didn't want him around anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. So Will, which is miraculous in the state that he's in, gets to Alana's house and uh, kills Gideon just in time. Um, And at the same time, um, He, he's he's unraveling because this is this is only the second time he's killed somebody. I think so. Yeah, the first would have been Garrett Hobbs. Yeah, and, and this one was Gideon. And both times, Alana makes it clear that this is not good for him. No, at all. And, and oh yeah, I just wanted to say I meant I was. I know it's all writing, but Jack was an asshole through these last four episodes that he just he did not care not one bit yeah and it's 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 very uh interesting how we have hannibal who's manipulating will for his own own whims and then jack on the other side who thinks he's doing a good thing right but he's also manipulating will trying to get get what he wants and jack was so so cold in the last four episodes. Right, yeah, he was. Damn He's a cop. Yeah. So that brings us to uh, Releve. Yeah, I have no clue. Releve. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> Episode 12. <laughs> uh, Hannibal consults his own therapist about his complex relationship with Will. While yeah. Will's newly expanded theory on the copycat killer makes Jack question his grasp on reality. Yeah. So we have find out here that Hannibal has, we, as we said earlier, eliminated the only witness to the murder. Um, after the neurologist's murder and Will being accused, uh, Hannibal has to silence the only other witness, which is Georgia. And this was is one of the craziest murders um, that yeah. they did in the show. Something about, you know. Like, I, I don't know much about science. Uh, well, I know much about science. I don't know much about, like, medical stuff. But I feel like that wouldn't happen like that. A, a spark from brushing a comb through your hair is so small. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. For those who are wondering what we're talking about, Georgia had been basically in, like, an intubation tube, sort of, like, regenerate her skin and heal her wounds or whatnot. And Hannibal just leaves a plastic comb inside the tube. Right. And she combs her hair with, I guess, static electricity just sets it off and she burns alive. Right. So they quickly assume that it's uh, suicide. But Will just doesn't believe because he knew Georgia. He was empathetic with her. She wanted to survive. She had just had this breakthrough in her condition right and he doesn't believe it um there's also where abigail and freddie begin the book and we see just we see freddie's true intention she believes abigail she wants to help her but she also thinks that will 
is a serial killer as well. And right. that kind of rubs Abigail the wrong way because she, she feels protective of Will. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I have down here, Beverly was their best investigator. Yes, Beverly is absent for all this, which is why it takes so long for him to get to the conclusion that it wasn't a yeah. suicide. Yeah. Um, what else happened here? Have Hannibal killed the patient who attacked his psychiatrist? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get the backstory on Bedelia's attack and her relationship with Hannibal. Yeah. Um, again, this trouble body is just following Hannibal everywhere. Uh, Jack finds out that um, a patient had attacked her and Hannibal killed the patient to save her. Yeah. And this was a patient that Hannibal had referred to Bedelia. Yeah. Um, so Jack sees the pattern of death around Hannibal and just very suspicious of this, which he should be. And um, we see Will piece, uh, piecing together the the murder of Georgia and all the other coincidences and yep. Um, I think Hannibal under, underestimated Will's ability to sort of figure things out. Yeah. So he stoops to another level to sort of get to get um get a grip on the narrative. Uh, him and Abigail go out to Will and Abigail go to Minnesota. Yeah. To the um, what's it called? It's like the cabin where her father kept all the stuff. Right, the hunt, hunting cabin. Yeah. And here he finally figures out that Abigail was part of the murders and that she killed Nick Boyle. And yeah. that Hannibal has been hiding this from him. And then he has a blackout. Yeah. What, what what's killed me through all of this, with all the killings, with all the connections, is that not once did anybody suspect that it was Hannibal. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Why? Like they didn't. They believed it. They believed Will did it before this creepy Swedish guy popped up. Like, wait, wait a second. Yes, it's funny because I guess his reputation just right preceded him or whatever. Um, so Will blacks out, and the last thing you remember is sort of being in the cabin with Abigail. He awakens, he's on the plane. Abigail's not there. He can't remember where she is. And then he vomits up in the ear. Yeah. <laughs> Which is highly disturbing. Yeah. Um, and we are led to assume, well, he's back in Virginia or whatever. Yeah. Um, with time loss and Abigail is with Hannibal in Minnesota and they basically confess to each other their sins and what, what are you going to do? Abigail says, are you going to kill me? Hannibal says no. Um, and then Will wakes up and coughs up an ear. Yeah. And another diabolical plot from Hannibal Lecter himself. That brings us to the season one finale, 
episode 13, Savaru, something. Yeah. <laughs> Will's mental decline results in tragedy when it appears he may have murdered Abigail Hobbs. With himself as his only defender, Will desperately tries to prove he's being framed by the real copycat killer. So yeah, this, I think the first time I saw this final episode, I was just dumbfounded how this was all orchestrated from one person, how the evidence was very hard to dismiss. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It is kind of like when you watch it and they say the things and it starts to play out, it is like, how in the hell, like, how is this working? Like, yeah, you just sort of want to shake everybody. Be like, "You've got the wrong person." Exactly. Yeah. Like, there's no way that if I had been in that group, I would Hannibal would have been the first person. Be like, of course he is, man. He's mm-hmm. too. He's too neat. Yeah. So uh, Will is arrested for the murder of Abigail. Um, he appears to be responsible as well for the copycat killer's victim. So they not only suspect he killed Abigail, but they think he killed Nick Boyle. Mm-hmm. and uh, her friend. Yeah, Marissa. Marissa, and the one they found in the field that first yeah. time, the cop, the copycat. Um, but Lana strongly doubts his guilt, and I was so surprised how quickly Jack turned on Will. Yeah, it took no time at all. Like, here he is, kind of hyping him up. Like, you're here to do this. We trust you. And then, yeah, this comes out. And he's like, well, nope. Right. He raises him immediately, which was weird. Um, but before he's in prison, he escapes whole, just like Gideon did, basically. Yeah. Broke his thumb and everything. I don't think he killed anyone. But he escapes the transfer uh, procedure and goes to see Hannibal. And I think Hannibal sort of expects this because um, Will was definitely piecing together that he thinks the copycat killer was framing him. Right. Yeah, from the jump, because he even says that, and I think Abigail said in this episode or the last episode that whoever called my father was the serial killer. So he's kind of known from the beginning that something's up. Yeah. And, you know, so carefully uh, and methodically, Hannibal mentions how Will was the one alone in the right. in the um, office that day when they were looking for Hobbs and how he just happened to have a premonition about right. uh, Hobbs and everything. So it makes him look like, like the guilty party. Right. Um, so this ends with... Will in the uh, psychiatric hospital for the criminally insane. And they basically have him up sort of like Hannibal from the film. Uh, Science right. of Williams. Yeah. And that's where we end season one with Will charged with, with murder, basically. Um, what's your favorite episode out of these last four? Oof. I, I'd have to say it's tough. Like you said, the the one with the girl who thought she was dead was maybe the creepiest one. But I think the third one 
with uh, I think the third one was is my favorite because that's when which would be episode twelve. That's when Will really started to lose his mind, and like you've seen the stag everywhere. He was blacking out. He was, you know, he 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 was he was out of it, and I thought that was really well done. So I had to pick that episode twelve. Yeah, episode twelve definitely brings. Uh, I think the most dread, especially when right. you get the scenes with Hannibal and Abigail in Minnesota, just right. how the truth sort of like comes out um, about everything. Um, and also by episode 13, Will's not only seen the stack, but he's seen a face on the stack. It's like become like a centaur type yeah, yeah. character, which means he's closer to identifying the, the actual killer which is terrifying. All right, that was season one of Hannibal. Um, sorry for the spoilers, but it's been a good, what, seven years since then or so? Yeah, something, it's been a while. Yes, yeah, so we will pick this up later on in the season and do season two just as well. Um, but that was season one. And if you have any ideas of what you want us to discuss, hit us up on any of our, our, our socials at AS Life Podcasts. Um, we would love to discuss something we've never seen before or right. something we've seen before, film or show. Um, it's, it's really fun to rewatch stuff years later with, with like an adult mind. And <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely changes how you view it. Yeah, being able to follow things better. Before we get out of here, anything you're streaming for the weekend? Um, I don't really know. There's a lot of stuff, the same thing. Got a lot of stuff lined up in my queue on both Amazon and uh, Netflix. So I think I'll probably just get on there and end up watching something. But yeah, I'm not too sure. I can't remember if there's anything I wanted to watch or not, but I'm going to try and watch Succession before the Emmys. Oh, okay. Because I've seen episode one, and <laughs> clearly not enough. But um, I want to see see what's so great about it. So. Right. Yeah. All right. And before we get out of here, remember to follow us on all socials at AS Life Podcast. Um, find more content at a streamable life. No, more content at streamablelife.wordpress.com, and we will see you next week. Until then. Keep streaming. Peace. This has been It's a Streamable Life, a podcast chronicling life in a peak entertainment era. Listen, share, rate, and subscribe weekly on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you get Streamable Life.